Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. The greatest F1 team. Hello and welcome to part six of a very special seven-part series where we've asked the question, what would the lineup of the greatest ever F1 team look like? From race engineer to team principal, lead driver to chief designer, and even the rarely coveted number two driver spot, which we filled in our last episode, we've set out to build an F1 team made up of the best there has ever been. Our in-house panel, made up of all of our F1 experts from across the globe, have all picked individuals throughout history that they believe are the greatest of all time. And in this series, we'll be discussing the careers and the worthiness of the individuals that have made it into the top three for each job role. I'm Jess, your host, and today I'm joined by James Allen, John Noble, Ben Anderson and Luke Smith. Hello, gentlemen, and thank you for joining me. Uh, Just a quick recap of the series for everyone involved, because we've got a bit of a different panel on each show. We've already got our race engineer. We've got our chief designer, our sporting director, and our technical director. And Sterling Moss, as I mentioned, is now our number two driver. But who will partner him in our team? Now, this was always going to get heated, I think, so I'm really looking forward to diving into what you all uh, think. But as it could be seen essentially as a mini poll for the greatest driver of all time, uh, if we're going to take it separately, even from our team, um, the one you want to head up your lineup is a pretty important pick. So without giving anything away, because we will be going through them in reverse order, what defines the ideal lead driver for each of you? And let's start with Ben. Ben, what's your ultimate lead driver look like? Well, 
this guy has got to be the focal point uh, for the entire rest of your organization, really. All the other people that we've been discussing um, as part of the dream lineup, all the hundreds of people that work under them, uh, this is the person that will then uh, realize all of their their dreams and their, their ambitions in the car. So they've got to be uh, a stunningly quick driver. Uh, they've got to be an inspiring presence within the team. They've got to kind of knit uh, that whole dynamic together. They've got to be able to communicate really well about what they're feeling in the car. Uh, they've got to be capable of uh, turning around bad weekends and, and dragging results out of bad equipment. They've got to be fast in all types of conditions. They can't be one-trick ponies. Uh, they've also got to be able to get on it straight away. Um, no wasting time right there from the first practice session. Uh, and I think they've also got to be someone uh, who uh, conducts themselves with a, a high degree of sportsmanship. They've got to be somebody who can represent your organisation. You're going to be front and centre on camera all the time. Um, you've got to be the complete package. Belief and inspiration of the team is one of the key factors that, you know, a team, a driver's, you know, one employee, perhaps the most important employee of the team but you know that's the speed they have has to be enough to inspire everybody so every mechanic every engineer every person working in the factory goes the extra mile because they know that if they make an extra one two percent of effort the driver will you know deliver the results and if that can be the difference between finishing second and finishing first that's an awful lot of victories uh you know come off the back of it simply from that belief that making this effort is so worth it I think that's exactly right. People line up behind the lead driver uh, and it either happens or it doesn't happen and you have to make it happen. So, I mean, Vettel, a brilliant driver, four-time world champion, but he's not made it happen at Ferrari. Alonso, some of the moves he made in his career couldn't make it happen. I think critically important for a lead driver is to make very few mistakes, which is very difficult because you're under a lot of pressure. You're under the most pressure, really, especially if you're in a team that's expected to go for championships, which obviously our greatest ever F1 team would always be expected to go for. So you can't afford to make mistakes and you've got to cope with the pressure. You've got to be good at team building. Everyone's got to be completely bought into things. You've got to keep them willing to want to go again. You're almost like another team principal as a, as a lead driver. You can't have any off days. And just picking up on Ben's point, which I think is actually a really important one. If you're talking about the absolute ult ultimate greatest lead driver in Formula One of all time, is this a lead driver who's a sportsman or someone who wanted to win at all costs? And that is a key part of the decision-making process. Team element of it. I think that is so important for our lead driver. We are looking for someone who can really sort of galvanise a team and get everyone, as James said, bought into this project and what they're going for. You don't have any great lead drivers who are sort of very quiet and very, very sort of, I guess, tactical. You, they, they're leaders. They're, they're your captain. They're leading you into war, into battle. And I think it's really important that they can be that very strong, very influential personality that everyone within the team really rallies around and buys into the idea of, okay, this is our man. This is going to be who is world champion for us. And uh, as John said, sort of go that extra mile to make it happen. All three of the candidates have encompassed that in some shape or form, if not throughout their racing careers. So let's kick off with the man in third place. And you might be surprised to find it's the most successful driver in F1 history. And that is, of course, Michael Schumacher. That's right. Michael Schumacher came third in our poll, the seven-time world champion that absolutely dominated F1 with Ferrari and clearly knows how to lead a team. But what are the things that might have led him 
or let him down. Well, for all for all Michael's brilliance, and you know he was sensational in Formula One's championships at Benetton, the championships at Ferrari. You know there were obvious weaknesses there, um, especially when the pressure really ratcheted up in World Championship deciders. We saw him stall on the grid, uh, and it also forced him into you know areas of driving that didn't fulfil the sportsmanship ranking. You know her F ninety seven with Jacques Villeneuve, Adelaide ninety four with Damon Hill. Uh, you had moments where you know, the, the pressure of the situation got to him and whether it was instinct or if it's premeditated, you know, only he would know. But these are the weaknesses that, you know, we're talking about fine margins here, I think, between these top three and slight differences of personality. But I think they're the factors that perhaps counted against him in the end. And I think it is that sort of sportsmanship meant, uh, sort of side of it that um, that Ben said in the opening remarks, that that is really where the sort of grey area came for Schumacher. And uh, uh, Mark Webber wrote in his book about uh, the Monaco 2006 qualifying incident where Schumacher uh, parked his car at the final corner and meant that nobody else could improve. And uh, that... Uh, Mark spoke to him about that and Michael said but sometimes you just go down a road and there's no turning back and that really sort of showed that he was so invested in this like I've got to win at all costs mentality they were driving to do whatever it took and uh, even in a qualifying session if that was the only way he could get pole position he was willing to go to those lengths so uh, yeah a a remarkable driver who redefined levels of fitness and I think sort of the the whole approach to Formula One at the absolute highest level but it was just this grey area that too many times he went over that line and I think that uh, that's probably why he hasn't come out on top in in this poll. I think we also need to remind ourselves of just what his great qualities were I mean he was um, he was probably the ultimate team builder in the sense of really getting everybody around him I did a wrote a biography with him about two biographies of him actually and one of them uh, it was the detail that came out from the people that worked with him. He, he remembered everybody's birthdays and he would literally be having a massage after a, a, a free practice session. And, it, and he'd be saying, right, whose birthdays are coming up next? And Sabine Kemmer, who was then his assistant, was, well, they got this one on the 25th. And, the, and he's like, what do you think they'd like? And she, she sat there many times thinking, hasn't he got, he's got better things to do than think about this. But he just couldn't be happy until he knew that everybody had been looked after. Everybody felt they were completely on his side and everybody was completely focused on, on winning. And the lengths that Schumacher went to to win, fairly, in terms of the intangible side of the racing and getting everybody on his side and the work he did behind the scenes with Max Mosley, who was then the FIA president, to just, just get the rules slightly changed about this or that and getting Bridgestone on, t- on side so they could have this testing, enormous amounts of testing. All of these things were his sort of competitive advantages. And he took it to a complete other level um, so those, that's what made him strong, and I completely agree with the others about uh, about the weaknesses, which is the reason why we put him in third place. Yeah, I think the uh, leaving no stone unturned aspect of Schumacher, I mean, that really stands apart. Um, he did so much outside of the car to to elevate his potential, including obviously uh, making sure his teammate was a subjugated number two contractually, which counts against him probably in the discussion of the ultimate greatest driver. I mean, he was incredible in the wet, um, but perhaps some weaknesses in racecraft. John mentioned that he could buckle under pressure. Uh, and let's not forget, I mean, he was kicked out of the 1997 World Championship for taking Jacques Villeneuve off. So, you know, that's a massive stain in terms of the guy who's, you know, the face of your of your race team. Um, so uh, undoubtedly a great driver, but a very controversial one. We all know about the, the Schumacher chop. Uh, he almost put his uh, former teammate Rubens Barrichello in the pit wall in Hungary one year. Um, so whenever you discuss Schumacher, um, there's always a division of opinion about um, about the man, mainly because of this this 
preparedness to win at all costs in some senses it's a good thing but uh, it can count against you as well Schumacher still to this day holds so many records to his name 91 race wins do we think that those records are are under threat from from up-and-comers and I don't want to give the game away obviously because we may be talking about people but are those records under under threat and will that ever diminish his reputation or his memory in Formula One you know Lewis Hamilton's on the cusp of a seventh world championship could easily go on to get eight, nine, maybe even ten, uh, depending how long he goes on and how long the Mercedes steamroller keeps going on. Um, but I think the numbers, you know, whatever Lewis goes on to achieve, and if he breaks all of Michael's records, I still think it will take nothing away from what Michael achieved in the sport. Uh, it was a different era. And you, you always find when you have these driver-defining periods in the sport, you just wish you could pull them all together and we could have had, you know, Michael Schumacher, Lewis Hamilton, Ayrton Senna, Alan Prost, Jim Clark, Sterling Moss, all in an equal car, all gunning it out, and we can see which one was really the best. Yeah, I think it's a bit of a shame. Well, it's obviously a massive shame for Formula One that uh, Ayrton Senna was cut down in his prime, really, because um, we never really got to see him and Schumacher go at it. And there was a bit of a dearth of opposition for Schumacher as he as he rose. Uh, and it took, and, took really uh, until the mid-2000s when Fernando Alonso came properly on stream for, for Schumacher to be really challenged. Uh, I know Mika Hakkinen gave him some opposition and they go back uh, in a rivalry to the former three days. But it always felt that not only did Schumacher you know, have weak teammates, um, but he also didn't necessarily have the greatest uh, opponents during his pomp. I think the other thing that makes these guys stand out is they're the reference point driver for their era. It's not just that they're multiple champions or team leaders. It's like Jackie Stewart was was a guy who was the first proper professional racing driver in that sense, you know. And then and then along came Senna in the in the late eighties, um, early nineties, who took it to a cult, another level again. And then Schumacher took it to an et cetera, et cetera. You know, there's you can pick out maybe five guys through the history of the sport who've who've, who've redefined the sport by the way that they've gone about it. And uh, you know, Michael, as I said before, is just the, you know, just unbelievable lengths that he went to to win. And for that you've got to admire him regardless of whether his records do stand or whether they're broken in the near future, he will always be remembered as as the man who did redefine so much in Formula One. He, I think, for me, really brought it into the 21st century in terms of his approach to driver fitness and just the whole team-building exercise. I don't think we've seen it quite to the level that, that Michael did it before. And I think that, yeah... It looks likely, I, I think personally, that his records will, at least one of them, the win record, I think that will fall in the next year or two. Whether Lewis Hamilton gets to seven or eight world titles, we'll see. And I think that even if Lewis were to reach that level, I think we wouldn't look at Michael in any any lesser way. I don't think that would reduce his greatness at all. I think it would just be a, a different wording. Instead of saying he is statistically the greatest of all time, it would be one of the greatest of all time. But he, he absolutely will always be up there and uh, I think has such a huge, huge place within Formula 1 history for that. The next driver on the list is another who is regularly central to any debates over the best there ever was. But Ayrton Senna does not make our final team. Three world championships, stunning skills behind the wheel and a hero to so many, even to this day. So let's start with the reasons why we've put Senna ahead of Schumacher, maybe. What made him just that extra bit special, do we think? Unbelievably fast, obviously. Unbelievably motivated. For sure, he kind of defined the word commitment when it comes to racing in every sense, not just commitment to a team 
or commitment to the cause, but literally the way he would commit himself and his car to corners, to overtaking moves. It was just absolutely all or nothing. And um, he was he had a quality about him. I was lucky enough to work with him over the last sort of four years of his uh, life. I started in Formula One in in 1990 and I had a lot of, of dealings with him and interviews with him and spent time with him and he was one of the most intelligent people I've ever met I think he would have been a great person in whatever walk of life he, he'd entered you know if he'd been in if he'd been in, in the round in the 1800s he'd have been a great general you know he would have been a politician he would have he would have made his mark on the world whatever era he was in because he had some extraordinary qualities um obviously he had some qualities that made him go a bit too far and prost famous alan prost famously said you know he's got a problem because he he believes in god and he doesn't think he can kill himself and when you watched him race and you would you saw him around and the way he conducted himself um he had that kind of presence that quality about him that there was something a bit special and a bit different about him but there was also slightly frightening you know because there was this sense of he didn't really know where the limits were so um yeah i mean remarkable person probably the most charismatic certainly the most charismatic person i've ever met in in racing and uh and a, just an exceptional human being yeah he ticks so many of the the right boxes you know incredibly fast almost otherworldly fast you know some of his qualifying performances uh at mclaren were unbelievable and uh, he even said you know he was going to a place mentally that he didn't know was was even possible so you've got a driver who's able to raise the bar further without something to to aim at um an inspirational figure out of the car um as james mentioned you know someone with so much charisma you really need that in your lead driver um incredible racer huge determination to win um but again the one thing that lets him down i mean it's it's apt that james mentions 1990 because uh of course he infamously took out a great rival alan prost to to win that year's championship at suzuka um and that's the thing that lets senna down for me um it's that his his willingness to win and win at all costs was you know to a level that he was prepared to to put other drivers' lives in danger. Uh, and I don't think really we can countenance that uh, when we're looking for our, our top, top, top lead driver. I think Senna's, Senna's the proof that the, the lead driver in this poll isn't just about speed. I, mean, you know, I think in speed, if you wanted to put anyone in there and say, right, here's the car, you go and get, grab pole position, and Senna would be your man. But being a number one driver isn't just about you know, that speed, that pole position lap being the fastest. It's about being the team player. It's about the belief. It's about the sportsmanship. Uh, it's about not buckling under pressure. It's about not letting, you know, title fights and rivalries and politics affect you and affect you on the track. And, you know, unfortunately, in the end, that's perhaps the, you know, the one thing that moves Ayrton back just a little bit. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And it is that, I think that political side of it that so many of the great drivers have fallen into that trap of Fernando Alonso, I think, is perfect perfect proof of that. Um, but I think with Senna, that really was the, the peak of it. We saw, obviously, how fraught things became at McLaren when he was there with Alan Prost and that real sort of uh, dream team lineup that you had with the whole McLaren-Honda project. It, it was meant to be the greatest thing ever, and it, it produced, I mean, some of the most incredible stories for F1. They're ones that we, we talk about to this day. But it wasn't a perfect team. And that's why we, we could never put this together with uh, two number one drivers, like, I guess, in in this kind of way, because it, that is proof that it just does not work. 
but Sen, I mean, he he was an inspiration to so many, and I think you saw, I think, the outpouring of emotion from all of Brazil uh, following his death, and that really showed just how significant a figure he was to not just the Formula One community, but I think to that entire country. He was a real, real sporting icon in, in that way. His advantage, I think, as well over Schumacher, who was a similarly kind of controversial figure that was prepared to drive into other drivers to, to, to win races, is the calibre of the drivers I think he was up against because, you know, he had Prost as a teammate, which is, you know, Prost one of the, one of the greats himself. And, you know, he was up against Nigel Mansell, I still think was very much underrated. He was a very, very good driver, Nigel Mansell, very competitive. Early in his career, you know, he had people like Nelson Piquet around. So, you know, he never, and then Schumacher, in the, you know, right at the end of his career, was, it was, he was up against some tough customers. And so he had to be the way he was. That's an interesting point that that you've raised as well, because one of the questions I was going to ask uh, for your inputs on was, does the way a great's career end affect the reflections and our, our memories of them in their prime? Obviously, we very sadly lost Senna way before his time. Uh, but Schumacher retired, came back and retired again. Does that does that affect our our positioning of greats or is that something that we should take no heed to you know how how careers end or how lives end does affect how you how you reflect on them we see musicians when a musician you know dies in the peak of his career you know he's he's worshipped they become you know godlike status whereas if they'd carried on in their career had five dud albums and ended up you know playing pubs and sunday lunchtimes with very few fans there you know you, you judge their career very differently and i think it's the same in same in Formula One, you know, Schumacher's partly clouded by the fact that, you know, the return of Mercedes wasn't as successful. Um, and I think, you know, Ayrton being killed in his prime, potentially, you know, on his way to more world championships, you know, means that the perception of him is perhaps greater than if he'd seen out his career, maybe won one championship and had four, five, six difficult seasons. It's, it's an inevitable part of, you know, how you review people's lives. I'd slightly disagree with that point. Um, I agree that um, Senna being cut down in his prime, that kind of elevates him um, because you never got to see him fade away. He just burned out. Um, whereas in Schumacher's case, you can look at it two ways. You can say, oh, he came back and had a less successful career with Mercedes, which is statistically true, and that taints what he did before. But you could also say, well, he came back after a break much older uh, and achieved a phenomenal amount considering where he was in his uh timeline as an athlete um so you can see schumacher, schumacher as having two distinct careers rather than one career that started amazingly and ended badly again it doesn't diminish anything that they've achieved in their careers and i think with michael especially obviously he wasn't looking to leave ferrari at the end of 2006 he was very much keen to continue but they were really set on uh, getting Kimi Räikkönen into that team and i think that would have been really fascinating to see if he'd been sort of able to continue through the late 2000s what would it have been like with him versus uh, Vettel emerging at the time obviously lewis hamilton very much in the early stage of his career but phenomenally fast i think it's this kind of sort of what ifs and big questions that you always have in sport and you always wonder particularly with the really great drivers but i don't think that Schumacher's second stint okay it didn't go anywhere near as successful as it was the first time around but I think particularly in his his final season with Mercedes I think he was very very impressive I think he showed that he still got that that edge I mean he comfortably beat Nico Rosberg through the second half of their their last season together and I think he he was still very much a very competent very skilled Grand Prix driver and I think uh, it was a real asset to the grid even sort of in the final few years of his career. 
we are fortunate in that the person that is occupying our top seat has yet to leave Formula One because it wasn't enough to have records and it wasn't enough to be a international hero. After our ex experts were all asked to pick their top three, the driver who comes out on top and will form our pairing supported by Sir Sterling Moss is the man who is so close to overhauling Schumacher's records. It is, of course, Lewis Hamilton. Six championships, favourite for a seventh whenever racing returns. Let's hope it's soon. Seven wins behind Schumacher's tally and in a very similar amount of races if you discount Schumacher's final three years with Mercedes. Now, he's someone that Toto Wolff says people don't appreciate enough while he's racing, but it appears that our experts do. So how come we have positioned Lewis Hamilton as our lead driver? Hamilton stands out for me in comparison with the other two because he's achieved all that he has achieved um, without ever taking anybody off the road deliberately. I mean, you could argue the toss on the album collision towards the end of last season in Brazil, but that was probably a mistake more than anything else. But he clearly didn't do what Senna and Schumacher did. And a lot of people will say, oh, yes, but hang on, you know, he's always had the best car. Well, he hasn't always had the best car. He's certainly been part of a team that's created the best car in the last few years. He's also been up against some pretty tough customers, as Senna was. You know, I mean, there's, there's some very, very fine drivers around in this era. And, um, and he's, held his, he's held his own against all of them. 84 wins, 88 pole positions. That's a 30, what is it, 38% pole position record um, and 151 podiums in 250 starts speaks to unbelievable high-level consistency. Um, and I think the, the, the most interesting window in I've seen in recent um, times on, on Hamilton was not something that I saw with my own eyes, and I've seen a lot with him with my own eyes, but it was actually that little moment on the Netflix documentary where he made the mistake while leading in the German Grand Prix. And they're behind the scenes in the debrief room. And he's standing in the middle of the room. He, he's, first of all, he's devastated. He's made a mistake. And he's standing there and he's stroking himself like this, which is a classic sort of tale of wanting to reassure himself. And he's apologizing to Toto. He just cannot believe he's made this mistake. And he's like a little child. And I just thought that was absolutely fascinating. That's the level that he challenges himself to, to always be the best. And, you know, it's, it's remarkable. So he's not finished yet when the counting is done when he does finish his career he will be the greatest driver of all time because he will have eclipsed eclipsed the records i'm sure he'll do that um and he's done it without ever taking anybody off i think it is that level of sportsmanship that really does set lewis apart and we've had two recent interviews uh, first with nico rosberg obviously lewis hamilton's great great rival during their years with mercedes and he said that lewis his great ability was he was able to push it so far to the limit in terms of being uh, aggressive on track but always keep, kept it sort of within that grey area. So no one could openly say to him and say, you went too far, you shouldn't have done that. Uh, whereas Nico, he couldn't do that. Like he would try and be aggressive and try and push as much as he could, but would go over the limit. And I think that's really what set Lewis apart. Like he, he ultimately could be hard and he could be aggressive, but all the time, very, very fair. And his moral compass is so, so well set. He knows so well 
the difference between what's right and what's wrong. And I think it's it's just incredible that he's been able to enjoy all of the success and have such a long career uh, with so many races now as well, more so than um, Schumacher or Senna would have had in their seasons. And there's never really any questions about, oh, that was a bit 50-50 from Lewis or should he really have done that? He is always, I think, on the, on the right side of that, which is incredible. And I think it is just that consistency through his career as well. I mean, he's won a race in every single season he's compete, competed in, which that blows my mind to this day because, as, as James said, he's not always had the quickest car. And some seasons he's not even had the second quickest or the third quickest car. Like He's really, really had some difficult, difficult seasons. So you think back to 2009 with McLaren and they struggled so much in the beginning of that year. Uh, yet by middle of the season, he was winning races. And it's incredible just how he could get his head around things and I think just bring out the best in the car, but also the whole team as well. I mean, he is a, a real, real leader. The whole Mercedes team, they they really look up to Lewis and he is able to, I think, just bring everyone around him so, so well. And that is why in the Netflix documentary um, uh, stated that that's why it hurt him so much that he had made a mistake and thrown away that opportunity because he knew that it wasn't just him, oh, I've lost a, a chance to score some points here. It was that he had let that whole team down, who means so 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 much to him. And he makes so makes so few mistakes as well. When you look at you know you reflect over Michael's career and Ayrton's career, a lot of crashes, a lot of incidents, uh, a lot of times where they perhaps didn't capitalise. Whereas Lewis, you always feel he's there, he's delivering to the maximum of that car. Um, you know, the incident of Albon in Brazil last year was was the exception. You know, very very rarely does he make a mistake like that in the heat of the battle. Um, and he's also, I think what's underappreciated about Lewis is how hard he works to deliver to this level. Uh, I remember being in Monaco last year. I went to the Gran Turismo World Finals where he appeared on stage as an ambassador for the game. And he was speaking to the gamers. Um, I don't think he didn't, maybe didn't realise there were some F1 journalists in the audience. But he opened up hugely about the efforts he goes into, you know, download all the manuals on the car and the reading, understanding how his driving needs to adapt to the tyres, working with the engineers, the processes he goes through to you know, run through Friday practice, you know, does he need to change his line? Does he need to change the breaking points? Does he need to change angles he's taking corners on? Uh, the whole approach to the weekend. He's a really, really, really hard worker. And I think that's one of the aspects that perhaps of him, people don't really appreciate from the outside. Coupled with that dedication at track is his dedication off track, which was something that you all uh, raised as being really important for, for a lead driver. And arguably Hamilton, it has fully transcended the world of Formula One and the sport that he occupies and is a figurehead and a hero and a leader in his own right. Now, that very much could be a product of the time that he finds himself in and the uh, the birth of social media and, and, and the kind of hype that is surrounding uh, lead athletes. But he is in his own right a, a figurehead. And with that comes the unfortunate side that he's also very divisive. Whenever you interview Lewis, um, he's very thoughtful in his answers. But when you, you read back what he said, um, it doesn't always seem that coherent. And often it looks on the surface quite arrogant. Uh, so I think he's quite easy to misrepresent. And it's also easy for him to accidentally misrepresent himself. Um, because actually what you find... Um, with him is that he's quite a humble, generous, thoughtful person. I mean, that doesn't necessarily translate when he's in front of the, the media spotlight. Um, and then also you've got, you know, this this 
challenging career. You know, he's not come from a typical motorsport background, um, not as privileged as some of his peers or his predecessors. Um, he had a very difficult spell at McLaren um, where he made a lot of his his mistakes. You know, we've talked about how he doesn't drive into people, but he did have a lot of incidents early in his career. Um, the great thing about Lewis is that he's improved all the time. Uh, he keeps getting better. Um, and you don't see him make those mistakes anymore. You don't see him crack under pressure in the way that Schumacher did even later in his career when he was properly established. Um, so another thing really that elevates Lewis is that he's he has to take a lot of, of heat from from outside, but he 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 wears it lightly. He's had to deal with that. You know, as you say, it's it's a bit like if you watch the Amy Winehouse documentary, you know, a lot of what brought her down was just the sheer amount of attention and controversial attention around her. You know, she couldn't shut that out. And if, when you're that famous and you're under that much scrutiny and that much pressure, particularly with social media, as you say, Jess, where people are messaging you back and you can see that there's large swathes of people that really don't like you, you've got to kind of rise above all of that. And hence that still I rise thing on his helmet, I think. Um, as to where it all started, I mean, I noticed this obviously in the last couple of years with uh, when I was commentating with ITV when, when he entered the sport and there was this, wow, straight away, this sort of polarizing thing. And I remember a part of it then was the fact that there was a sense that he was entitled. He had this sense of entitlement. You know, he didn't really feel he paid his dues. He'd, he'd sort of just suddenly, suddenly launched into one of the best cars on the grid and was winning races, you know, in his first few months as a, as a professional Grand Prix driver. And a lot of people didn't, didn't really like that. They thought he was kind of manufactured by McLaren and was here as a product and stuff. And obviously he's more than, more than shown that that, uh, that that isn't the case. But I, I do think the seeds of this sort of Marmite Hamilton, you either love him or you hate him, I do think that that was sown back then. I think that is part of it, that people do love an underdog story. They do want someone to really, I think, serve their time and claw their way up to the, the front of the pack and uh, establish themselves as a great that way, maybe. Whereas Lewis, from day one, was immediately good, immediately quick. We saw, obviously, at the very first corner of his very first race when he overtook Fernando Alonso. That was a, a huge statement to make. And I think that's maybe part of it, why people don't quite sort of relate to him or, or maybe like him as much as uh, as other sportsmen. And I, I always find it baffling because you look at his records, you look at his domination of F1 as it has been over the, over the past sort of five, six years or so. And I think if you took that and applied that to any other British sportsman in another sport, I think everyone would immediately like vaunt that as one of the greatest things ever, ever done by a British sportsman. Whereas Lewis, there's still, I think, this question mark saying, oh, well, if he's got the best car, then that kind of detracts from it. But uh, no, I mean, to me, Lewis is just, he's an incredible character. And I think it's quite nice when you do see people changing their opinions. I mean, for example, uh, when he did the documentary with uh, Billy Munger uh, uh, at the end of uh, 2018, that really showed Lewis's sort of very personal side. And I had quite a few friends outside of Formula One message me and say, I've watched this documentary and it's really changed my opinion on Lewis Hamilton. And I think it's kind of side that I think uh, as media I think it is important that we do talk up and we do show I think it's important that the the wider maybe tabloid media do sort of look at the great that Lewis does uh, not just in F1 but outside of the sport as well because uh, he is he's a global megastar he's done a lot for Formula One by being more than just a Formula One driver he doesn't want to fit into this box of simply driving a car he wants to do all these other ventures as well which I think it's it's really refreshing to see that and I think it helps take the sport to so many new places if we take it back to our original framework I mean he ticks all of the boxes doesn't he you know he's extraordinarily quick uh, has more pole positions in Formula One history than anyone uh, incredible wet weather driver as all of our top three candidates were um, some amazing performances brilliant racecraft 
um, wheel to wheel. His judgment now uh, is exceptional uh, and unblemished. Um, he's an incredible sportsman, which sets him apart. You know, he's a, he's prepared to hold his hands up when he makes mistakes. He's a great ambassador for for Formula One more widely, growing the audience and and taking it to new places. A great ambassador for his team, uh, and yeah, just all round, um, all round brilliant, really. Um, uh, you can't really fault him. Um, he wins in bad equipment as well. We're saying he had a gilded start to his career in Formula One, if you like, you know, um, with a winning car straight away. But those those years from 2009 um, through to 2012, some of those McLarens were terrible. So he paid his dues later. And, and that's always the sign of a great driver, someone who can can elevate their equipment, if you like, to a level that it doesn't really belong. And, and Lewis has done that many times. He is deserving of our number one seat in the team. And that means our team is nearly complete. Just the team principal needed to keep a handle on all of this and make sure everything's running as it should be and deal with the influx of fan abuse for not picking the driver lineup that that everybody at home wanted. But who gets that role? Find out tomorrow. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The world is waiting, waiting for new thinking, for bold ideas that embrace a globally connected community, working together to create a better future for all. And that future, it can be found here at UC Riverside. Here, you'll join a community where diversity equals vitality, where support and empowerment lifts spirits and propels ideas forward. Fearless, innovative, connected. UC Riverside. Bold hearts, brilliant minds. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.